Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Batman Nightcast, a podcast chronicling the comic book adventures of the Cape Crusader in the post-Crisis on Infinite Earths era. I'm Ryan Daly. I'm Chris Franklin. And this time we are covering Batman issue 408, the issue you have all been waiting so long for. (laughs) Writer Max Allen Collins is back to tell a story that might break Chris's spirit and end this whole podcast. Are you excited for this one, my friend? I am beyond excited. I'm trembling right now, actually. <laughs> I'm all a Twitter and not, not I'm not tweeting. I'm just really a Twitter, yeah. <laughs> Before we actually cover this issue of Batman, let us look at the spinner rack and find out what other comics were on sale the month that this issue came out. And the cover date we are talking about this time is June 1987. Mm-hmm. From DC Comics, we have... Coming up on our next episode, Detective Comics number 575, that is Year 2, Part 1. We also have The Flash number 1, that is the new series starring Wally West by Mike Barron and Jackson Geis. Did you ever, have you read that series, or like at least that issue or anything? Oh, I bought that series right off the shelf. Yeah. I mean, I, I pretty much have the whole run of that. I mean, there was a there was a few years there where I kind of dropped out in the Mesner Loeb's years mm-hmm. and and actually missed the first few uh, Mark Wayne issues and had to go back and get them. But uh, yeah, it, it was quite a shock because uh, <laughs> Mike Barron basically totally gave Wally a, a personality transplant uh, because Marv Wolfman had portrayed him as this uh, very ultra-conservative, very family-values-type guy. And then Mike Barron portrays him as this womanizing guy who uses his superpowers for money. I mean, it's just like... You might as well have just created a totally different character and made him the Flash at first. I know, really, yeah. Also that month, uh, Secret Origins number 15, which covered Deadman and the Spectre. Find out more about that on the Secret Origins podcast. Uh, Suicide Squad number two, obviously, because number one came out last month. A few others that I noted that I thought were kind of interesting. Swamp Thing issue 61. This is Swamp Thing in space with the Green Lantern Medfill. Nice. Mm, Yes. (laughs) He's got a power ring on the cover, even. I know. Young All-Stars number one. Uh, Angel Love Special number one. I marked this down. I, I really don't know anything about this one. I was just like, oh, Okay. Um, but the, also the one other thing, Centurions number one, the four-part miniseries by Bob Rosakis and Don Heck based on the toys. I got this series thinking that it would be a lot of fun. Like, I, I collected them each issue over the course of, like, decades. Like, I would find one, I was like, oh, I think I have issue two of this series or something. And then I'd, like, I'd get, like, the next one or something. And I bought this thinking, this would be a fun idea for, like, an FW Presents cover this one. I read the first issue a couple of months ago, and I was like, I, I don't really care for this. I don't know if I'm going to finish this series. <laughs> I certainly don't know if I want to put in the effort to cover it on a podcast. But Centurions is that one 80s toy line that has not made any kind of comeback. I mean, it had a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a comic series. And, of course, Kenner made the action figures. And the action figures, I had one of them. This was, like, toward the end of my action figure buying. But they were, like, seven inches tall or something. They were big. Or nine inches tall maybe and they had those holes in them that you could pop all the different accessories and but Hasbro since Hasbro bought Kenner owns the property but they have yet to as far as I know they haven't included them in this uh, 
what is that called revolution line they're doing for idw oh, yeah, where yeah, they yeah. combine gi joe transformers mask rom micronauts all these uh, uh visionaries i mean that they, they brought back visionaries but centurions is apparently hasbro's slash kenner's like redheaded stepchild that they're just not doing anything with <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah do you do you remember which one you had because i also just had one I had uh, Ace McLeod, the, the the pilot guy. Yep. I had Jake Rockwell, and I can't even believe it. Well, I, I read the comic about a month ago, so I do remember the names. Yeah, I had the, the ground-based guy, Jake Rockwell. Um, I had one friend with Ace, and I had another friend who had uh, Max Ray, the sea guy. So we had the three heroes, and I think we played with them once. <laughs> I okay. Was, I think that was it. We're like, let's go back I, to G.I. Joe's. <laughs> I actually did have, I just now remembered, I had the, the main bad guy, the one that was like, he was okay. like a cyborg. What was his name? Like Dr. Terror or something? something I don't know if that was yeah, his name. Yeah. Or That's a Peter Cushing movie, but I don't, I don't know. It's just, it, he was he was like a cyborg. Like, he literally could take the figure and pop him in half. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was pretty wild. But then you had this, you know, human, he was like uh, that, uh, what's the one guy from the Legion of Superheroes, the villain, the Fatal Five, the... Fay Rock or whatever his name yeah. is. It, it, it was like him, but just like popping him apart or yep. something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, how did we get stuck on Centurion? I don't know. We've talked about them a lot for, for comparatively to how much. Like <laughs> that's all the coverage they ever deserve on the Fire and Water Network. I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, did you ever read like or like the Angel Love comic? Like I guess it was like a eight or nine issue series that had the special, but. I, just, I, I don't I didn't read it I remember it being advertised I mean I wasn't like the you know obviously I wasn't the right. target demographic and you know I, I I wouldn't have you know I'd been afraid to pick that comic up and you know uh, <laughs> this is from the same kid who used to kind of hide that he bought Wonder Woman to read the Huntress you know uh, <laughs> but uh, I know there were talking cockroaches from the ads that's about all I know and <laughs> And uh, it was like Joe's apartment, like several years earlier or something. I don't know, uh, but uh, yeah, that I don't know a whole lot about it. I, I at the time, I I remember thinking that I thought it was by Trina Robbins, which it isn't. But I, I thought it, no, I thought it was. It looks like yeah, yeah. I was thinking that because she had done the Legend of Wonder Woman yeah, miniseries. That's right. I thought the similar style, and I thought that was the same person, but it's not. Yeah. Well, we'll need a uh, Siskoid, Bass, Fern, and Marty to get in cover Angel Love on one of the. Uh, only hearts romance comics podcast yes most definitely uh anything else from dc that month that you saw of uh dc uh infinity incorporated number 39 features my pal solomon grundy on the cover so that's always a plus uh, <laughs> uh who recently he's he's been sublet over to zoom's uh podcast wonder show you know so uh done in one <laughs> wonders podcast wonder show so um on the star trek number 39 cover we have harcourt fenton mud Oh. So, soon to make a reappearance on Star Trek Discovery, so... I remember when I heard about that, like I told... I, I mentioned to Cisco he'd already heard, but I was like, hey, Rain Wilson is going to play Mud. I was like, that's that's kind of cool casting. I like that actor. And then I realized, I was like, you know, I hate Harry Mudd on the, the old series. <laughs> like, I hate all of those episodes. I was like, I, I didn't need to see that guy ever again, so... I, I kind of like Harry Mudd just because it... I think he's a nice kind of character. I, I like the way that they portray him, especially in I, Mud, the second one, because he literally is just this recurring annoyance. Yes. And, you, and everybody's just like, oh, the slap the forehead type thing. It's him again. You know, that <laughs> – I like that, and I, I think that's a fun episode. And I, I like that they, you know, broke up the 
broke up the the drama with a with a light episode every once in a while with with mud. I mean, and you could also they could have just used Harry Mud in the Trouble with Tribbles, but they did. Yeah, 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 really. Yeah. So. All right. Well, moving on to Marvel, there were just a few that I wanted to mention. GI Joe issue sixty. Todd McFarlane on art on this one issue of G.I. Joe. This was right before he came over to do the year two taking over for Alan Davis. But uh, this is an interesting issue that looks nothing like the other G.I. Joe comics. And uh, I'm just going to say I don't like it. (laughs) I I don't like the story in this issue. I don't like the art. I just now remembered that I actually have this issue. Isn't Chuckles featured pretty prominently yes. in this issue? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Chuckles, the one, the <laughs> the the Don Johnson of GI Joe. I mean, I don't know what's. You know, that character was actually a cool idea that Hasbro and Marvel had no idea what to do with it. They never knew how to like market him or whatever. But once IDW got the license to uh, GI Joe, they did this mini series called Cobra, and they actually made it a, a ongoing series after that. But it was all about Chuckles infiltrating him because his whole thing was he was a CIA spy, and like that was mm-hmm. the whole thing why he wears a Hawaiian shirt because that's undercover, I guess. <laughs> no, but yeah, but yeah, but it's it basically he infiltrates Cobra, and it is a dark story. This Cobra miniseries and like the way it goes and everything, like he has to do horrible, compromising stuff in order to earn the trust of like Tomax and Zaymod, which who knew that would ever be a sentence that somebody would utter. <laughs> So, Leaders of the Crimson Guard. Yeah. <laughs> so, if, if anybody listening, if you ever thought Chuckles was a joke, check out the Cobra series from IDW because they uh, they actually do right by him and make him really interesting. So, I mean, you, that just goes to prove that you can take any character mm-hmm. and go in any direction with them. I'm waiting for a similar series for Ram Man in the Masters <laughs> Universe. You know, like this this deep dark psychological drama about Ram Man. You know, that, that's, that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to call my son when he gets his helmet. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> you can make him a little costume. With a little. <laughs> oh, I, I've got plans. I've got plans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, also that month from Marvel, The Incredible Hulk issue 332. I just marked this on because it's Peter David's second issue. Mm. Um, West Coast Avengers number 21, Moon Knight and Dr. Pym join the team. A lot of people, this is their preferred version of Hank Pym. Not Ant-Man, not Giant-Man, not Goliath, not Yellow Jacket, not the Wasp, but just Dr. Pym, the scientist. Mr. Pockets, where he had all the yeah. stuff in his pockets shrunk down, and he pulled them. He, yeah, he looked like he looked like an auto mechanic or something. <laughs> yep, <laughs> <Yeah. yeah. laughs> I remember that, yeah. Anything else come out this month that you wanted to mention? Well, I did want to mention Amazing Spider-Man number 289, which is quite possibly one of the biggest FUs to comic fans. <laughs> Of all time, because it tells us after Ned Leeds has been killed in that Spider-Man versus Wolverine one shot, mm-hmm. it reveals that he was the Hobgoblin. Now, if you were a reader of Spider-Man in the 80s, the big question on your mind was, who was the Hobgoblin? I mean, uh-huh. Roger Stern set up this great mystery. Tom DeFalco took it and run with it. There were a lot of red herrings. At one point, they revealed Flash Thompson was the Hobgoblin. Of course, he wasn't. But then we're left with, no, Ned Leeds, who's now dead and was killed by a bunch of assassins in uh, Spider-Man vs. Wolverine, was the Hobgoblin. And there's an issue of uh, Back Issue magazine that has an article about this. And the behind-the-scenes machinations of certain writers and editors in this storyline is far more 
interesting and honestly more gruesome in a lot of ways <laughs> than the actual storyline because there's some there's just some very bad uh, handling of the situation very very uh, uh, very petty handling of this storyline just to out of spite to basically throw a big finger up to some of the previous creators and things it's it's pretty ugly and uh-huh. and for years this thing was a you know this left a bad taste in the mouth of of spider-man readers and then by the time roger stern finally got to to reveal who he really intended the hobgoblin to be the character wasn't relevant no one really cared unfortunately it was a good series but it was too late you know uh so yeah that this one will always stick out to me as you know i I was pretty angry this month let's just put it that way (laughs) (laughs) that would be too much You know what? Maybe that whole story will come out in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie at some point. You know, maybe oh Ned, Ned, the kid in the chair, will be killed off in Avengers 4, and in the Spider-Man Homecoming sequel, they'll reveal that he was a criminal mastermind the whole time. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just waiting for, you know, Ned, the, the Hobgoblin, to pull his mask off, and it's Ned from the movie. He's like, badass! You know? <laughs> Uh, I love that kid. He was funny. He was. (laughs) Okay, folks, we are going to take a promo break right now. When we return, the controversial, for us anyway, Batman 408. Don't go away. What? Have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back Back to Superman. Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It All Comes Back to Superman is part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube Podcasting Network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. Batman 408 is cover dated June 1987, but according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, the actual on sale date was March 12th that year. The book cost 75 cents in the U.S. and sported cover art by Chris Warner and Mike DiCarlo. The cover image shows Batman dropping down or popping up out of a dumpster, startling a young boy who appears to be stealing the tires of the Batmobile. Chris, your thoughts? You know, I, I like this cover. Uh, I think it's 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 fairly well executed. I like the lighting on Batman. Um, I just noticed Batman looks way too big. Uh, I never noticed that before, but... He looks like he couldn't even fit inside the Batmobile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yep. I, I don't think I ever noticed that till like I didn't even have that in my notes, but just looking at it right now, 
it looks like there's no way he could even. I mean, he would like have to sit in the trunk to drive the Batmobile. <laughs> yep, I, I've noticed that. I've also noticed that the kid on the cover does not necessarily look like the way Jason is drawn inside. No, um, he doesn't. I mean, it's the it's the same artist. So I wonder if. Uh, there was a a major gap between when he drew one and when he drew the other, um, but uh, yeah. Now, Mike's Amazing World said it was uh, Warner and DiCarlo. Comic Book Database said it was just it didn't mention DiCarlo that hmm. it was just Warner, like he'd inked it himself. Hmm. So I don't know if that might be some of the discrepancy between the way Jason looks. I don't know, but it does look a little bit different than the interior. So yeah, maybe that could be a. Uh, the other notable thing about the cover is that now that we are past Batman Year One and firmly, you know, entrenched in our new era, the cover, the masthead says Batman: The New Adventures. Yes. <laughs> what do we make of that? Like, is, was this? I don't know. I I don't know what the the thinking behind the rebranding of this was. Like, uh, I I don't. I I remember as a kid picking this up. You know, I was like eleven. I I remember. It, it actually worked on me because I was I was kind of excited like oh now we're like really you know we've got through year one this is where actually everything starts you know um, I mean I, I you kind of had to say that the issues before year one were part of the post crisis Batman but this starts in earnest in this issue and so I was kind of excited about it I didn't like the lack of any kind of bat around the word Batman I just that that logo doesn't work without some kind of bat framing sequence it's just too it's collegiate, yeah. you know. It looks like it looks like something you'd see on a college uh, sweatshirt, especially because they've they've taken the old Batman logo over the previous decades and basically squished it and made it not as tall. So it looks it looks like like a college font. I yeah. mean, it's just it's not exciting. Yeah. This is where Marvel now and all new Marvel and all new Marvel now started, and all their continuous <laughs> efforts to rebrand themselves as current. Right. <laughs> We're at now, now. Everything that's happened now is happening now. Everything now. What was it then? Now. What you're looking at is now. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Batman 408, Did Robin Die Tonight, is written by Max Allen Collins, penciled by Chris Warner, inked by Mike DiCarlo, lettered by Todd Klein, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Denny O'Neill. The Joker stands on the rain-soaked rooftop of one of Gotham's many museums, having stolen a priceless diamond necklace called the Smile of Death. Batman confronts the Clown Prince of Crime, demanding his surrender, while Robin climbs up the edge of the roof with bat rope and grappling hook to take Joker by surprise. But the surprise belongs to the dynamic duo, as the Joker draws a gun, turns, and fires at Robin. The bullet rips through the Boy Wonder's arm and knocks him over the ledge. Horrified, Batman pushes past the Joker to check on his sidekick. Robin dangles over the side of the building, his leg tangled in the bat rope. The Joker, meanwhile, considers shooting his nemesis in the back, since Batman appears completely oblivious to anything but his ward's precarious plight. Ultimately, the Joker decides not to kill the defenseless Dark Knight, since then he'd have no one to torment. When the Joker copter arrives, the Joker begins to climb up the rope ladder. Batman finally snaps out of his daze, though, and takes the clown out with a batarang to the head. Batman picks up the unconscious Robin and swings away, but a news chopper gets the last part on camera. That night, the media runs the headline, Did Robin Die Tonight? 
Back at Wayne Manor, Batman makes sure that Dick Grayson's health and recovery are assured before promptly firing him as his sidekick. He says he was wrong to bring a child into his vigilante lifestyle, even though by now Dick is a young man, not a boy. Dick vows to continue the war on crime without Batman's help, and Bruce is inexplicably proud of his ward's decision. For the next month, Batman operates solo as the media, led by Vicki Vale, continues the myth that the boy Wonder was killed in action. Privately, though, Batman assures Commissioner Gordon that Robin is alive, but retired. Later, Bruce Wayne meets with Vicky for lunch. She wants Bruce to chair a citizens' committee condemning the vigilante violence of the Batman. Bruce makes arguments against his involvement. As they walk down the street, Bruce witnesses a trio of hooligans pickpocket an old man. He chases and catches them, but when they attack, Bruce realizes he can't fight them off without giving away his advanced training. So, Bruce lets the punks beat him, but he still manages to get the wallet and return it to its owner. After that, Bruce and Vicky walk to his car. She tells him she's heading over to Crime Alley to report on a new school, Ma Gun's School for Boys. The school is somewhat controversial because it takes in runaways without working with social services. That night, Batman does go to Crime Alley, what used to be called Park Row when it was a safe and respectable neighborhood. He parks the Batmobile under a streetlight on the corner where Thomas and Martha Wayne were murdered so many years ago this very night. Batman walks around and meets Ma Gunn in front of her school. He tells her he admires what she's trying to do, keeping the most vulnerable kids in school and off the streets where they might turn to crime. The rest of Batman's patrol, however, is boring and uneventful, for the criminals of Gotham know that Batman always comes to Crime Alley this night of the year. Of course, they don't know the reason is because this is the anniversary of his parents' murder. Batman returns to the Batmobile to find the front tires have been stolen. He sits down on the corner and begins to laugh, just like you would expect the Batman to do. Before long, the thief returns to boost the second pair of tires. Said thief is actually a young boy named Jason Todd, who panics at the sight of Batman, hits him in the gut with a crowbar, and makes a run for it. Batman follows Jason to a rundown apartment where he lives alone. His mother died recently, and his father is missing, possibly in jail. Batman makes Jason help carry his tires back to the Batmobile. Along the way, Jason pleads his case for not going into juvenile or foster care. Batman agrees not to call the police or social services only if Jason agrees to attend Ma Gunn's school. Ma Gunn tells Batman that Jason can stay at her school. She also mentions her first name, Faye. Faye Gunn. If that name sounds suspiciously similar to the name Fagin from Oliver Twist, then the reveal on the last panel won't come as much of a shock to you. After Batman leaves, we see Jason surrounded by Ma Gunn's other pupils, all brandishing weapons. Ma lights up a cigar and asks her boys which one of them wants to kill the new kid. And that is Batman 408, Did Robin Die Tonight? So, Chris, I have a question for you, uh, but I have, I have a pointed question about this story, but before that, I just want to hear what are your general overall big picture impressions of this story? Okay. Well, where to begin? Okay. Uh, first of all, everybody knows from the trailer for this show, this has been the issue we've been waiting to get to, as you said. <laughs> I really did try to give this a fair shake. I kept saying I would, and I did. I cleared my mind of what my 11-year-old self thought of this, and I started reading it, reading it as if I had never read it before. Having done all that, it's actually worse than I remember it being. <laughs> 
Uh, we have just had a fantastic run of Batman stories in this title and Detective Comics. Most of our leader, most of our readers would agree that um, you know, for the most part, Batman Year One held up under scrutiny as near infallible. You know, Catwoman's edition aside, people debated about that. But, sure. Yep. Uh, the Bar Davis run got a few kinks in its armor, but it still stands as a very memorable run on Batman, maybe mm-hmm. more for the art than the story, but still the stories are solid and consistent with themselves. Absolutely. Uh, so my question is, and this is not to defame the man who I have incredible respect for and I love his work, but I just don't understand how Denny O'Neill read this script and said, yes, this is how I follow up Batman Year One. Uh, <laughs> just for a guy who's famous for writing detective stories, Collins Batman may be one of the most clueless versions of the character ever, and that's that's putting it lightly. Uh, and that's all I'll say for now, and we'll get into more of it later. <laughs> so, to one of your questions, I have no idea why Denny O'Neill thought this particular story or this particular direction was the way to go. Again, this is one of those things where the the shape, the beast that uh, the post-crisis Batman is going to be was not fully formed, and it did not solidify with Batman Year One. It's still taking years, and and this is not what Batman is going to be like. Um, the question that came to me as I was re-reading this and doing the synopsis for this, some of the aspects of this story and the tone and the way the characters talked, this question occurred to me, and I want you to think about this. This issue was published in 1987. What if it was written and published in 1967? Okay. What if this was a Silver Age story? (sighs) It'd be mopey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you're saying what if basically this was how they sent Dick Grayson off instead of him going to college or – I'm just or, saying, imagine the story came out 20 years earlier than it actually did. Forget about continuity. Okay. But when I read this, I was like, this really, like, you're right, like, this does not feel like the post-crisis Batman. But if I had heard J. David Reader cover the story on the Dave Cave podcast, I wouldn't have batted an eye. I would have been like, yeah, mm. this seems like a story that would have been covered in the Showcase Presents volumes of Batman. This could have come out back then. Like... The, the story details the fact that Bruce Wayne fires Robin for getting uh, shot or whatever. Like, this completely disjointed, doesn't think about his, his age and everything like that. And then by the end of it, he's befriended another kid and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. To me, like, I just read this. I was like, you know, if this was a Silver Age Batman story, I don't think we would care. I don't think we would we would hold it to the degree of scorn and scrutiny that we do. Yeah, I, I can see that because I see what you're saying now. It, it's very plot-driven. Uh, the plot is driving it to the point where it doesn't care how the characters act. There's no care for the damage it does to the characters or or the the previous versions of the characters. What what it means to that, um, you know, I, I could see this, you know, being a John Broom Batman story uh, drawn by Sheldon Maldoff signing as Bob Kane uh, <laughs> in that pseudo Infantino style he switched over to uh, when Carmine Infantino came on. Um, but the difference would be. Batman would bench Robin, bench Dick, obviously, and they might even hint at that he's picking up Jason to be this new Robin. And Dick would be still in the background going, I can't believe Batman has, you know, picked up this kid. This is going into part two as well. 
But in the end of it, Robin would show up, save Batman's bacon, yeah. and then Batman would say, well, old chum, I ne- would never replace you. I'm just going to find a good home for Jason, you know. Oh, well, great, Batman, and they'd walk off together into the sunset or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the difference. And <laughs> yeah. the, the, but, but, you know, in this, no, that's not what happens. <laughs> no, it's just like the fact – I mean we get Batman just walking the streets of Crime Alley in front of people. Like right. in, in front of like like just like street people like street walkers like pimps or whatever and like nobody's committing crimes because they know hey Batman's out but like he, he's just like walking like like I want the theme to Shaft following him in the scene yeah. just even Batman the New Adventures the logo it feels old fashioned it feels silver or bronze age to me like this had to be like he had to be working on this during Batman Year One like but like Bob but like it just feels very retrograde. And the mm. fact that it seems so old, uh, so sort of like out of sync with what was going like part of me wants to forgive this because I, I feel like it's just like it's just it's just in the wrong time. Like it just it shouldn't mm. have, it shouldn't have been the follow up to Batman Year One. Like Max Allen Collins was just he just got this gig too late in the life and the career of the Cape Crusader. Like. I don't know. Like for for all these faults, I can kind of like say, I was like, well, if this was a Silver Age story, I don't think it, it would have just felt of a piece with that era. I think so. I don't know. That's well. And it, you could also think, okay, if this was a Bob Haney story later on <laughs> in the in in the later sixties or in, especially in the seventies, you know, Batman could have very well in an issue of Brave and the Bold, Robin got shot, Batman retired him, and then he goes off. And, and I'm counting part two here because that's the right, ultimate. Right. He goes off with Jason, calls him Robin, and then nobody ever addresses it again. Uh, <laughs> you know, which yes. is what Bob Haney would do. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but yeah, it's I, I can see that, but I have to put it where it is. It, it's not. It's not in the '60s. It's not. Batman evolved beyond that very quickly. A lot of it under the the, the pen of Denny O'Neill. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and Denny O'Neill in in the from the Den column says, you know, he's trying to get it's his twelfth it's his twelve uh, month anniversary. It's been a year since he took over the titles uh, for him as he's writing that. And even though we're on only on issue four hundred eight, um, it's it's been a year since he came on board. Mm-hmm. So that does tell us that he did have more of lead time than what we maybe re- originally suspected. Uh, which actually, some of the things that he's done so far, it makes it even more head scratching why he wasn't consistent. But I know, <laughs> but, he, but, but he but he says you know he wants to you know he wants to get Batman. Uh, let's see what he, I actually wrote down what he said. Uh, you know he. Uh, he wants to get. He's recreating the classic Batman, the obsessed, brilliant, relentless crime fighter, who is not in this issue uh, <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> at all. Nope. Uh, he's not brilliant. Brilliant. He's not obsessed. Really. Uh, he's not re- relentless. Uh, so yeah, he fights crime. That's about it. I, I still just can't. Yeah, this one's. And, and uh, I also, I also think. I mean, you you said you came back and you reread it for the first time, but you read this at the time, so you had that effect. Mm-hmm. I did not read this story for years. In fact, for the longest time, I didn't have this issue in my collection. This was an old story that I just knew of. Like, I knew the details of this story long before I ever actually read the story. Right. Um, so it was just... It, I, it never really had the same impact on me. Um, 
Now, looking at the looking at the story, like I still admit, they, whew, there are some weird things and there are some dumb things in this story. So, <laughs> I'm, I, I will be, and I think this this will probably be consistent of the Max Allen Collins issues as we go forward. So, people, as you're listening to this, the Batman centric issues, this is going to be Chris's Vietnam in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think I think I will be a little bit more forgiving of them. But I still admit, whoo, they well, we got some stuff in this one that we need to talk about. So, well, I will say that I did like the art overall. Um, I think Chris Warner. I mean, it's not anything. He's not. It's not groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. I did like his his Batman. I you know I'm I'm not a huge fan of Mike DiCarlo's inks. I think he is the competent inker. I, I don't think he's. An, I mean, I think he. He's, he's not like when Vince Coletta would phone his stuff in. He does sure. a good job. Uh, and Vince Coletta was also a good inker when he wanted to be. But he, his style is so overpowering that it's really kind of hard to say what Chris Warner's Batman really looked like. He did some covers later for Batman vs. Predator, mm-hmm. uh, the first series yep. of that. And it looks totally different than this. It doesn't look any. And it's just a few years later. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think this is a lot of Mike DiCarlo you're seeing here. And who knows? That might have been one reason why Chris Warner, uh, folks. This is the only issue Chris Warner draws. Uh, just, just a, a little yeah. heads up. There. And I was actually wondering, like, I was kind of because I didn't really know his name that well, and I was like, what, what, did, where did he come from? Like, what was this just a fill-in, or did he want to leave? And and maybe it was he, he wasn't happy with the product because he was so heavily inked. Um, I know that, like, previous to this, he had worked on Doctor Strange stories. For, most of his work was at uh, Marvel before this, and then he would do a bunch of Dark Horse stuff, especially, like, with, like, Predator and things like that afterwards. Um, but he worked on mm-hmm. Alien Legion. He worked on Strange Tales. I think the big thing that probably helped him get this one was he worked on Moon Knight while Denny O'Neill was editing that. So I wonder, oh. I wonder because of the similarities in Moon Knight and Batman, I wonder if Denny O'Neill handpicked him or recruited him. Now, whether or not it was yeah. just for a one-issue fill-in or what, I don't know. No, That's... he was supposed to be the regular artist, if you read the letter columns. Oh, okay. Yeah, he yeah. Was, in the next issue, I read ahead a little bit, and he talks about, you know how his plans have kind of went south on some of the things. And he said, you know, he says, I don't know how, but we've lost Chris. You know, he said, I still don't understand how. And he, he wished him luck. So he was intended to be the ongoing regular artist. Hmm. Okay. Well. So, so so he he bailed for some reason. I'm not saying it's because Mike DiCarlo, but I, I shouldn't have said that. That's just a guess on my part. I don't know that. But it, the inks are very heavy, although I do think it's got kind of a nice – his Batman's kind of got a little bit of that early Michael Golden Batman look. Yeah. And DiCarlo inked that famous Batman special that uh, Michael Golden did, so that might be one of the reasons I'm thinking that. But uh, yeah, I, I, the art's nice. I mean, and, and I mean, I wish yeah. you would have stuck around. Like spoilers for future episodes. I I liked his art in this more than. I mean, the Ross Andrew one in the next issue is is solid. Um, but mm-hmm. Dave Cockrum in the issues after that, I love me some Dave Cockrum on his on the X Men and even the Legion, but not this era, not on Batman. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so getting into the story, we'll take it from the first. We open up with a scene of the, you know, the dynamic duo confronting the Joker. It's a nice kind of action thing. He has just robbed a museum, and um, and he's he's killed people. And there's actually a thing where Batman says, you know, how many people have to die for these jewels? And we we get a shot on page three. Uh, the second to last panel of these three guards murdered around the museum display where he stole the jewels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's brutal. I mean, like, one of the guards is on top of it, like, he was thrown off of a balcony or off, like, a second floor or something and landed on it. And that's, ugh. 
But yeah, like, right off the bat, the Joker shoots him, shoots Robin in the arm. Robin starts to fall. Batman runs to the side and he's looking and trying to talk to Dick. And like, he's basically for like two and a half, three pages, Batman is just has his back to Joker who has a gun and is completely <laughs> oblivious. And the Joker could have killed him so easily. And it's just because the Joker's like, I'm not feeling it. If I kill him, then what's the point of life? And it's kind of like this very forced thing. Like, this should have been the death of both Batman and Robin because Batman acts so stupidly in this scene. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can't forgive that. And it's like, like this is... Why does he shoot Robin? Because the plot dictates so. Why doesn't he kill Batman? Because the plot says so. Yeah. That's where it's very Silver age It's very plot-driven, yeah. yeah. I, it, and I think... The, the pacing is really badly done because Batman, you know, calls to Robin, you know, he goes over and he says, you know, even though Robin's dangling, he says, I can make it, Batman, get him. But instead, Batman, he stands there and keeps looking at Robin rather than turn around and like throwing a batarang real quick and knocking the Joker out or something or taking, knocking the gun out of his hand like we've seen him do a million times, you know. Right. And he doesn't really do anything to rescue Robin either. He's just like leaning over the edge talking to him. Are you okay? Are you sure? Are you going to be all right? Well, throw him another rope or swing down there and get him. If it was anybody else, yeah. Batman would have went down there and saved them and let the Joker just get away and he could get him later. Yeah, he eventually yeah. he eventually knocks the Joker out. And when he goes back to the ledge, Robin has fallen. And it's only by the fact that he fell onto a lower ledge that he didn't die. Like, right. Batman was completely useless in this. Like, if that had been any other building, Dick would have fallen to his death. And it's all because Batman was just paralyzed with fear, which... I guess is what kind of it springs into the next thing, but like even that, like so. So after this, it's it's we get it really quickly just through the news. But after he takes Dick away to get him medical attention, Batman then goes back to collect the Joker, tie him up, and bring him to Arkham Asylum and just leave him on the lawn. Why didn't he have the cops do that part? Why, <laughs> like, right? Robin is bleeding, possibly dying, and he's like drops him. I mean. I don't know if he brings him to Leslie's clinic or if he brings him to Alfred or what, but he leaves him then to go take care of the Joker. It's like, he's unconscious. Get the cops to do that. That's what they're paid for. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, the, the dialogue in this scene is really, it's tinny. I mean, it's, try, I, I try to, you know, basically when, when I'm reading a Batman comic and the dialogue doesn't sound right, I kind of do this test in my head. I try to, like, the different actors who have portrayed Batman, could I hear any of them saying this? The answer was no. <laughs> I mean, even Adam West at his most over-the-top couldn't deliver these lines, I don't think, some of them. I mean, just, it's, yeah, it's, the the the, the dialogue didn't help anything either. Yeah. So, boy. <laughs> I mean, Dick is right to be mad. Like, he's like, I'm not a child anymore. And, like, at this point, like, just, like, looking by the art, what do we, what do you think Dick is? I, I mean, if this is in, if this is in continuity with the Teen Titans or the new Teen Titans, or I guess this... Well, according to Denny's thing, this is supposed to. This story is supposed to be like three years ago. Yeah. But he looks like he's, you know, sixteen, seventeen, maybe eighteen years old here. Right. That means you know he's been he's been with him for a while, and it's like, and Dick is like, you can't stop me. I'm I'm still going to do this, and we even get this little ghostly image of what he'll be when he goes as Nightwing. Right. And Batman's like, I'm proud of you for not giving up the fight. Then stay with him like keep him make sure make sure he does it right if you want him to fight crime but you don't want it to be your responsibility that's kind of an asshole thing to do bruce (laughs) yeah it's like 
uh, you might get killed, but go get killed on your own is basically what he's telling me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because if he just told him, I don't want you getting hurt, I mean, you know, if that's the thing. If Batman th- – th- this is where this story falls apart because if Batman had fired Dick and I can't be responsible for you and then never had another Robin, then that would have made sense. You know, I mean, what, but but the fact – you know, is is that we're meeting the the new Robin? We know we're getting Jason as Robin because this is filling in the blanks of the you know the new origin of, of uh-huh. Jason. This gives us the new origin. And Bruce, I mean, he calls him a child, and then he says, "Well, you're a man, son." So, so what is he? Is he a child or is he a man? I mean, within two pages, two uh, like a page and a half, uh, you know, or a page and a third, he goes from calling him a child and firing him to telling him, "Oh, well, you're a man, son. I'm proud of you for going off and doing your own thing without me to help protect you." I, I mean, what? Uh, who? Wow! Uh, <laughs> I just—it's—it's <laughs> it's really dumb. It's just yeah. it's, there's, no, there's no justifying it. If somebody can no. write in and justify Batman's actions here, then more power to you. And I'm willing to listen to it. And and I again, I did come to this. I don't want to be this negative about this mm-hmm. thing, guys. I I really don't. I take no pleasure. I wanted to fight. Hey, you know this wasn't as bad as I remember. But I <laughs> I, I got to be honest. It's like I said, it's worse. And and to me, again, I, I put this out of my mind. But you know, I read when Dick Grayson originally uh, gave up his Robin mantle, gave it to Jason. Uh, That was in Batman number 368. That was only 40 issues and less than four years prior to this. Uh And it's a very poignant scene. Dick walks into the Batcave. Jason's got his Don Newton design costume he wore in Detective 526, where he first kind of appeared as Robin, uh, not Robin. And they're trying to figure out what his name would be. Uh, in the the previous issue, Detective Dick walks in in this issue of Batman. He hands him the costume and says, you know, you're Robin. And it's this really nice uh, moment between Bruce and Dick. They shake hands and Jason puts a costume on and they tell him he looks great. And Dick walks out of the Batcave and he's out of the series. And it's really well done. It's a it's a nice send off. It treats the the legacy of Batman and Robin. I mean, because by this point in 1987, you know, Batman and Robin, I mean, Batman and Robin are a thing. I mean, everybody before the movie came out, when we had solo Batman for the masses, Robin was as big a part of the Batman canon as Batman almost. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they were inseparable in the minds of the public. So that was a great send off to that character, and it, it it made the Jason coming in as Robin, you know, it, you accepted it because it was handled so well by Doug Minch right. and Don Newton, and this is handled so poorly that it's no wonder that people didn't accept this version of Jason. Uh, it's it's just, I mean, I think if they had kept Dick leaving on his own and then brought Jason in, it would have it would have been fine. This new origin of Jason could have worked. The the part that doesn't work is this right here. This is the part that kills it. Right. And I actually I mean, you're right. It's so hard to compare because the journey from Jason Todd becoming Robin in the pre-crisis era was done so well and so organically over the course of uh, like a year basically yeah. like from like mm-hmm. when he's first introduced to when he puts on a costume and everything like there's a long like time and we really get to know that character mm-hmm. so I mean it doesn't compare do I like that origin of Jason Todd Robin or this one well duh that one 
But if I'm not comparing the stories in the time, if you just tell me, okay, should Jason Todd have been a circus acrobat or a street kid that Batman caught by boosting his tires, you know what? I've already gotten Dick Grayson as the circus acrobat. I don't need the second Robin to be a clone of that one. Give me a story with this street kid who like, has nothing and basically like Batman does rescue him from a life of crime. I'm a lot more interested in this type of Jason as a starting point. Now, it's just, it's so rushed and it's so hamfisted, it's so poorly done that they don't compare, but like, if I was a kid and they were like, we're gonna redo Jason's origin and make him this, you know, kid living on his own, this runaway, basically, or his, his dad's in jail, his mom's dead, and Batman catches him stealing from him, I was like, that's an interesting starting point for Robin. I really want to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it does, like, even though that's not what we're going to see in the immediate future, it does kind of set up where Robin goes in his trajectory on the Starlin issues when he's a little bit brattier, he's a little bit angrier, mm-hmm. uh, and he has this different edge. I get that, and I like that. So, again, if this could have been handled well, I think I, I would have accepted that, and I would have thought this was a better take on Robin, because it does distinguish him from the dick that we had, Awkward phrasing. Um, phrasing. And, <laughs> and the Tim that we're going to get eventually. Um, right. I also think that this particular version of Jason, what they do with him is uh, he is doomed. Like, from the from the get-go, he doesn't have the redeeming qualities. He doesn't have the likability that the Robins need, which, and I mentioned this on the Secret Origins podcast one of the times when I was talking with Tom, that I think this Jason was set up to fail from the beginning, even if they didn't realize it at the time. They set this Jason up for failure, and he had nowhere to go but ultimately an untimely death. Um, yeah. Yeah, I actually I actually wrote an article for Back Issue. It's the first one I ever wrote. Uh, I, I was a cold pitch to Michael Urie, and he took it. Uh, it's issue number 48, and it, it was about the, the two Jasons, <laughs> um, pre-crisis and post. And, um, you know, the original idea of, uh, and I talked to had it, Jerry Conway, I, I couldn't get a hold of Max Allen Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he didn't. They didn't return my uh, emails. Uh, but uh, talked to uh, uh, Jerry Conway. Talked to Denny O'Neill. Uh, well, in, you know, emailed them. I yeah, didn't talk. Yeah. But you know, uh, and uh, Jerry Conway. You know, he his intention. Uh, you know, and if you read that, you you get it. Uh, it was to that history was repeating itself. I mean, he was he wanted to bring things back around to kind of a golden age type uh, setting for Batman, and that's why Jason's origin is is what it is he, yeah. he is another circus aerialist like dick and i mean batman bruce and and dick acknowledge that within the story i mean you know it's 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 obvious and and yeah i mean i can totally see why they thought you know that diddy on it was like well why why would we and he even said that in in the interview he said you know why you know why would we do that we, we got a chance to give him a whole new story and i mean the story worked uh, for the animated version of Tim Drake. I mean, the yeah. animated Tim Drake is very much the amalgamation of the hero worship that the comic book Tim had for Batman, plus Jason's actual backstory yep. of being the street kid. And it worked. You know, everybody loves that version of Robin, uh, or most everybody. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 so it, it, this isn't a bad this isn't a bad origin, but I think because Dick Grayson... In, in the character of Dick Grayson at the time, Teen Titans had lost some of its luster. But in the previous years, it was the top book at DC Comics. Sure. And you can argue that the most important character in that series, of any Teen Titans series, has always been Dick Grayson. He has to be there. He has to be the leader. Or the series, just people are like, well, where's Dick? Where's right. Nightwing? Where's Robin? Right. You know, he's the main character, more or less, of that team. He's a linchpin, if nothing else. And 
so I know he's off in another editorial camp, and that's that's a big problem with the new DC post crisis. Is where all these fiefdoms that developed around these characters, and yes, there were company crossovers and stuff, but they they felt like there was competition between the different camps a lot of times. It's like, well, that's that's their character over there, you know. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing here with Dick and what we saw in the last issue of Detective is, well, he's a Teen Titans. He's a Titans character now. We're not worried about him. But dismissing his role in the Batman canon is going to anger any older Batman fans, you know, so that and they're going to push that anger off to Jason. Plus the fact that this just isn't written well. It's just not. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's just it's unfortunate. Yeah. Getting back into the story, there's there's a moment at the end when Batman is talking to Ma Gun. There's a timeline issue that comes up because she says the people of of Crime Alley of this area, this Park Row area, they know that Batman comes to Crime Alley the same night every year, and that he's done that for at least six years. Mm. So that means at the time that this story has taken place, he has been Batman for at least six years. Mm-hmm. Now, in the previous from the Dencom that we talked about on the last episode, Denny O'Neill mm-hmm. said that this story from Batman 408 and then the next one, Batman 409, basically the origin of how Jason is adopted and becomes Robin, that this took place three years ago. That would have meant that in the current timeline, Batman has been Batman for nine years, at least. Mm-hmm. But he also said year one took place five or six years ago. So, already, two weeks later, Denny, your, your timeline doesn't make sense. Because mm-hmm. either either Batman has been Batman for nine years in total in the current timeline, or this story, and, and the, the next one that comes out after this, basically the Adopting Jason, this is meant to be current, and this isn't a flashback. And basically, we're, we're voiding out any previous Jason Todd Robin story. Right. It kind of feels that way, honestly. It does. It's- yeah. Even though you kind of have to accept that, uh, well, you really don't because now, as as much as we uh, liked them and 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 praised them, the Bar Davis run, even though they're not quite done yet, is almost void <laughs> as of this issue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even even though they mention his Jason's new origin, you know, we saw it last issue. Although, like we said, uh, Jason's still dressed like Burt Ward. He doesn't have a leather vest and ripped <laughs> jeans. Uh, he's got the sweater and the you know button up shirt on, but. Yeah, it's it's really it's really strange. The puppet strings are. I mean, it, it, part of the problem with this comic is the the characters are tripping over the puppet strings from the behind the scenes. I mean, it's it's just uh, yeah, they cannot get this stuff figured out. And and I I think he was really trying. I think that's one reason why it says the new adventures. Well, what were the previous other than Batman Year One? What were the previous comics we were reading? You know, were they the right. old adventures right. that, that that don't count all of a sudden? I mean, right. it's and especially like if three years are supposed to have taken place between Batman four oh nine and four ten, or like or, or like how are these new adventures? Or really is that that whole three year gap? Uh, it's it's weird, but now now what this does kind of if we make if we just take this timeline at face value, if Batman by the time this story is taking place has been Batman for six years, which is what Magun says, that does salvage the Dick Grayson Robin timeline because it means he's been Robin for probably more than one year. That he well, that's true. That he could have been Robin for three, four, or five years. I mean, we haven't gotten year two yet. Um, right. 
and right. the the way year two even kind of fits in is is a little iffy. But you know, yes. at least you know, at least at least Robin wasn't Dick Grayson's summer internship. You know, right. <laughs> he was he could have been Robin for years, and he could have been Robin for longer than Jason ends up being. So well, and it, and if you go by, I think when you know we all know the ultimate fate of Jason, he yeah. was you know I, I kind of always think of Jason as being like eternally thirteen. He was thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may have aged into 14, perhaps even 15, but he wasn't driving. Right, uh, right. So he wasn't 16. So he might have been 15 when he died. Uh, if you back that, if you say he was 15 when he died and you – and you, I, then what was he, like 11, 12 here when Batman meets him? Or was he was he, was he 13? I mean what – he looks kind of small, but I mean I, I don't know how old he's supposed to be. But I will say Chris Warner does a good jo- job of – he looks like a kid. Yeah, uh, which a lot of comic artists don't do. Uh, he looks like a kid. He doesn't really look like anything like Jason Todd Robin. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, he doesn't even look like the same kid. Uh, which actually, his, his Dick Grayson's fairly inconsistent too. I mean, he doesn't. He's got his hair parted in the middle. When we see him on the rooftop, his hair's almost swept back. He almost looks more like the, like you said, like the Silver Age Robin. Uh, so it's it's kind of odd, but yeah, it. it Ah, I don't. I don't know how you reconcile all these things. I don't. I don't think you can. But that's that's the problem because this is kind of that new adventures business is like a line in the sand. You know, that's when you do that. When you, and when you have columns in your letter column, when you have when you when you call it out and say this is the timeline, then you need to stick to that timeline. If you don't. If you don't call it out, then you're kind of free to do whatever, and then people are open, can interpret it however they want. Mm-hmm. But it's open for less interpretation when you put guidelines all around it. And the guidelines are all over the place, and I think the maze of his timeline leads into a closet somewhere. You know, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> one, one thing that I never actually thought about until reading it this time is the first time we see Jason Todd, what does he have in his hand? He's got a tire iron. A tire I mean, iron the, or crowbar. The Joker, yeah. the Joker kills him with the crowbar, but it's close enough. I mean, yeah. he doesn't kill him. He beats him. He doesn't right. kill him. Everybody says he kills him. He beats him near death with a crowbar. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't kill him. Obviously, the bomb kills him. But, um, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's uh, – I actually did a, um, a, a drawing years ago where there's a, a – uh, online fanzine called Fanzing that uh, I did like a drawing for that that had like Jason the two Jasons timelines and I I made sure I put the the tire iron in Jason's hand and the crowbar in the Joker's hand to show hey look you know nice. <laughs> irony you know <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah and he hits Batman in the gut which you know that's another one of of Batman's uh, many blunders and one thing I wanted to point out we're kind of jumping around here but because yep. uh, we've just this the the, the the omnipresence of the this story makes us makes it hard for us to really go blow by blow because right. we just keep quit talking about. Well, it's also like even before you get like there's hardly any action to this story. Like it, like the pacing and like the the structure of the story is it's an odd one, and we'll we'll get to that. But what was your, what was your point? Well, pacing is actually part of it. Now, yeah. Batman dismisses Dick Grayson in a page and a third. <laughs> Bruce Wayne spends three whole pages fighting the Bowery Boys. <laughs> Those guys are, I'm pretty sure, meant to look like actor Leo Gorsi and Hunts Hall, who starred in the Bowery Boys movies. They were also known as the Dead End Kids, the East End Kids, yeah. Little yeah. Tough Guys. Those movies that used to be on Saturday morning all the time, black and white movies. 
uh, those two guys, he's got the these, you know, they got the turn up hat, the ball cap. They look like those. I, the other guy might be supposed to be one of the other ones. I don't know. But he spends three whole pages fighting those guys over a wallet as Bruce Wayne. <laughs> and they took only a page and a third to dismiss Dick Grayson unceremoniously. <laughs> and really, I mean, like that is the most action in the story. Like if you look at the action beats, Joker shoots Robin one panel Batarang hits Joker's head we don't even see Batman throw it it's just right. the Batarang hits Joker in the head that's one panel and Jason hits Batman in the stomach with a with a tire iron one panel that's it like most of the action in this is one action scene with Bruce Wayne kind of conflicting like should I kick these guys ass because I could easily kick these guys asses but I shouldn't because it'll be a little obvious that hey Bruce Wayne knows how to kick ass there's another there's a moment in that like when he's talking to Vicky before that she says the Wayne fortune, the Wayne Industries fortune, was founded on munitions. Yes. Is that canonical? Like, have we ever heard? Like, were they ever in the, the no. weapons business? Like, I was like, uh, do you think you're talking to Tony Stark? Because I don't think that's a. I don't. I've never heard of <laughs> Bruce Wayne's family having their money from weapons. Well, you know, it, it, I'd like to. I'd really like to do a deep dive sometime and figure out exactly at what point was it decided what Bruce Wayne's money I mean in in the in the golden age I think up through the through the early silver age pre new look I think he was just more, more or less old money yeah you know I mean he, yeah. his, his dad was a doctor mm-hmm. but his family was just wealthy I mean it didn't I mean they just were rich I mean I'm, I'm assuming they had investments yeah. there was never any talk he, he was an idle playboy he didn't have a company. I think that kind of sprung out of when Alfred got killed uh, in in the, the one of the first New Look stories. Mm-hmm. He started the Alfred Foundation, and that was supposed to be a charitable foundation in Alfred's name. Well, then that became the Wayne Foundation, and even on the TV show, Bruce would make, well, I have a meeting at the Wayne Foundation, you know, as, as he tried to beg off to get away from Aunt Harriet so they could slide down the bat poles. Phrasing. So the Wayne Foundation kind of slowly evolved in from just being a charitable to there being a Wayne Enterprises or something like that. And over time, Wayne Enterprises could be involved in whatever the story needed it to be, basically. <laughs> and, you know, and, and then you brought in you brought in Lucius Fox in the 70s. Lynn Wayne introduced Lucius Fox, which, of course, we all know from the Nolan films. And but they never did quite get a handle on what Wayne Enterprises did. But. I know in the animated series there was that one episode where the there's like that experimental stealth helicopters and mm, and yeah. involves the penguin and and Bruce laments not being involved getting involved in the munitions race basically and uh you know it, and 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 somebody tries to talk him into oh well it's for police it's you know it's it's got all sorts of applications it's not just for the military and then and then in the uh, world's finest crossover uh, yeah. animated. Bruce is basically, you know, he wants the robots him and Lex are developing only to be to use for like space exploration. He's like, right. I don't like guns, you know. I mean, you know that that whole thing. So yeah, it makes absolutely no sense to the for Bruce Wayne, the man that won't even carry a gun as Batman, despite the next episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, having a munitions company. I mean, you know, it, it, and obviously. In the Nolan films, when Bruce comes back into it, uh, you know, comes back from his years abroad, Wayne Enterprises has been in the military game because that's where he gets the tumbler and all that stuff. But, you know, you kind of get the idea he moves it out of that, you right. know. So, yeah. 
It's it's nobody basically. It's Wayne Enterprises or Wayne whatever. It's whatever the writer needs it to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, my last sort of comment or sort of weird thing was like the very end, like the last panel when we realize that uh, Faye Gunn is running Faye the school Gunn. for boys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> is running the school for boys to sort of teach uh, teach them, and basically like all these kids are about to like kill. She's like very upfront. Very, she's like, "Who wants to kill the stoolie?" I'm like, "Jesus!" She thinks Batman sent him, sent Jason there as a spy or a plant. Like, this is intense. Like, this turned really quickly. Like, she obviously thinks that this Batman is more intelligent than he really is. <laughs> sure, she's giving him credit for being the the world's greatest detective. And that's another thing. I mean, Batman doesn't get any kind of vibe off of her. That's that's a little – I mean the fact that she doesn't go through social services, that right. doesn't ring any alarm bells for him. I mean, I, you know, Batman is – you know, he's supposed to be the modern-day, you know, Sherlock Holmes that lived at 2218 Baker Street. And I meant you, my dear Watson. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so there you go. Uh, uh, that was for all our listeners out there. Uh, but so Sherlock Holmes would like talk to somebody and could tell like, you know, what kind of childhood trauma they had, you know, if they ever scraped their knee, uh, you know, what kind of dog they like. I mean, you know, a, a Batman talks to her and, and he doesn't get any kind of vibe off of her. I mean, I think that, I, I you know, it, it shows when, when, when Ma Gunn's got the, the you know, they're pulling uh, you know, knives on Jason, everything in that last panel. The Bowery Boys are back. So they're <laughs> at they're at Faye Gun School. Yeah. Now, why not have Batman notice one of them in the doorway or something and go, huh? You know, I, I mean, you know, or at least give him that. I mean, right. I mean, I actually made a list of, of of blunders that Batman pulls in in, in this that we can go through if you'd like. Well, uh, just even, even before you get to that, okay. she talks with an Australian accent. <laughs> He's gotta know she's nefarious and, and probably course. a horrible criminal. And she's descended from a criminal. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hi, Paul. Hi, Mike. <laughs> Hello, guys. Hi. She punches koalas in her spare time. Come on. <laughs> you know she does. <laughs> Waiting for doom. Love you guys. So, all right. Yes. So, so what are your list of Batman's blunders? Okay, Batman's blunders. Uh, he talks to Robin for a half hour rather than throw him another bat rope or wrap it around him or something or go to him and he just lets him fall. And as you said, if there hadn't been a ledge underneath, he'd be dead. And no, the Joker wouldn't have been responsible, Batman. You would have been responsible. Uh, he's apparently oblivious to a news helicopter being nearby. And aren't those things pretty noisy? I don't know. Uh, he fires – here's the big one, of course. He fires his probably anywhere from between 16 to 19-year-old because Dick was 19 when he quit – being Robin in the uh, pre-crisis continuity. Mm -hmm. He fires his 16- to 19-year-old partner saying he can't be responsible for a child, even though he constantly took the kid around criminals with guns for at least three years. The kid was bound to be shot at some point, okay? I'm just saying. Uh, Bruce Wayne spends three pages fighting the Bowery Boys, possibly making Vicky Vale suspicious of his Batman identity. He doesn't notice anything suspicious about Ma Gunn. Uh, like we said, she's an Aussie, so come on. Uh, he... <laughs> He just strolls down the street in Crime Alley in full costume, and I was just waiting for him when those guys like, hey, Batman, nice night for a stroll. He says, gentlemen, I was waiting for him to say, citizens, you know, like Adam West. <laughs> if he said that, I'd kind of say, oh, that's cute, you know, because yeah. it's a call back to Adam West, but no, no. 
Uh, he lets Jason hit him in the gut with a tire iron. This man's supposed to have reflexes like a cat, and right. Jason manages to, as a, a small kid, hits him in the gut with a tire iron. Rather than take Jason to social services or drop him off with Gordon, he takes him to Ma Gunn's school, even though he just met her that night, and he knows that she's a little unorthodox. And I know he doesn't know that she's running a school for thugs, even though her name's Faye Gunn. <laughs> you know, okay. Uh, but uh, what a twist, right? Uh, but <laughs> come on. I, I, there's probably more in here, but those are the highlights. I mean – Well, I mean I, you, like even in the beginning, the whole thing while he's not helping Robin very well, he still has his back to the Joker who's got a yeah. gun on him the entire yeah. time. It's like three pages. It's- yeah. I mean, was he just thinking the Joker wouldn't shoot him because he, you know, he's always like, oh, I'm not going to kill you because I don't I don't like Batman being the infallible bat god that can do no wrong, that has a contingency plan for everything. But there's a difference between having human failties and and also just being complete incompetent, which yeah. he's portrayed as in this issue. This is a Batman who is just bad at his job at every level. Yeah. Um, and you're right like Batman is so dumb in this story like I don't know what Max Allen Collins was thinking when he was crafting the story in this version of Batman I don't know why Denny O'Neill thought this was an adequate successor to Batman year one I cannot justify any of their actions but I don't hate this story I don't know what it is I because I do see some kind of earnestness and some kind of heart and some kind of attempt to do a Batman story that just it, it was the wrong story for the wrong time and it's if this had Bob Haney's name on it I don't think we would be as as critical of it uh, if this had been published in the 50s or 60s I don't think we would be as critical of it it's it's just unfortunate it's not good but I don't hate it I, I still find myself forgiving it and actually just flipping through it now I feel like I might I don't want to say I owe Frank Miller and Jim Lee an apology, but I do want to mention in All-Star Batman and Robin, (laughs) the way they introduce the Vicky Vale character is she's walking around her apartment, like talking on the phone, like trying to arrange a date with Bruce Wayne or something in like the skimpiest bra and panties, basically just showing like, like, and like you look at this, like who, who's, which woman is just walking around like naked like this in designer lingerie like like she's going to a fashion shoot that type of underwear while mm-hmm. she's just like scheduling like a business luncheon or something or like a, an interview or something for a press well you know I, I, on page eight of this issue vicky is in bed in a in a nighty or something calling to arrange a date with bruce and mm-hmm. she's she's kind of like sprawled out on her bed looking very sexy and everything it's not Jim Lee's version of sexy, but it's still kind of like it's like okay, maybe this is just the part of her character, and maybe Frank Miller and Jim Lee saw that. Yeah, that's the kind of woman she is. So maybe before she makes phone calls, she likes to just strip down as naked as she can get, and you know, it's maybe that's her thing. I don't know. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. I, well, and if, I that's, even... if that's the kind of woman she is, then damn Tim Burton for not portraying that in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> she could have been in that when you know when Bruce come by and then the Joker came by and, you know come on let's get nuts scene exactly. uh, yeah. <laughs> Kim Basinger was way too overdressed for that moment she was way too overdressed in that movie yes <laughs> about 108 all... I think 
<laughs> yeah. You weigh a little more than 108. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the other thing about the story is it's basically part one of two. We really, it's it's hard to judge all of this but without looking at the second one, which we will do in a few episodes. So, mm, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's <laughs> we got through it. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, again, I, I can, and I appreciate the fact that you found something, there's some value in it uh, that you don't, like, can't, like, totally hate it. I don't hate the idea of it. Mm-hmm. I like I said, I, I don't I don't hate this as Jason's beginning. I hate this as Dick's ending. Yes. This new ending. Yeah. And we all know next issue that you know he he adopts Jason at the end of it. We all know that, so I'm not spoiling ahead. And we have to talk about that. It because that's what really digs the knife in for what happened to Dick. Hey, phrasing and for Batman's incompetency <laughs> you know <laughs> that that he would bench uh, fire not even bench fire his 16 to 19 year old trained partner who he had been working with for several years who was a circus death defying circus aerialist before he ever met him mm-hmm. and give it the role to some kid who's just good with the tire iron i know he's street tough but that doesn't mean he knows how to you know, jump into a, a band of criminals with all with guns and, you know, never get touched by any of them. I mean, so it's, yeah, this just, <laughs> if they taken Dick out of this completely and said he just already quit, mm-hmm. I don't think people would have had that much of a problem with this. I wouldn't have, it's, <laughs> but they did rob and die tonight. I mean, the fact that they, come at it even from that story angle that's like we've killed your old robin and we're replacing him with this guy you know i mean well one of our listeners in the listener feedback has suggests something that might have been a good fix um Mm. for this type of predicament with uh, with how they exit robin this or how they exit dick this way uh Mm. and we will get to that when we do the feedback so um should we get to that now then Sure, I think we beat this. We beat this uh, horse to death with the crowbar. So, yeah. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay, sorry. That's higher iron. There we go. Okay. <laughs> All right, folks. We are going to take a short promo break. When we come back, we will have your feedback from the last episode. Don't go away. Hey there. My name is Nathaniel, and I'm here to tell you about an exciting new podcast. What are you doing? Oh, hey, Liz. I'm just recording the the podcast promo. You're recording the promo for the Punch Like a Girl podcast? Yeah. You. Yeah, I'm I'm one of the hosts. I have more podcast experience. What? You're going to sit there and mansplain to people about a podcast focusing on graphic novels and trade collections with female protagonists? Um, oh. Yeah. Can I at least tell them how it's available on iTunes and Stitcher and at punchlikeagirlpod.wordpress.com? No. Shoot. All right, well, hang on. I'll delete this. We'll try again. That's not delete. That's the button for publish. Nightcast, episode 15, received Twitter favorites and retweets from the 108th Sage, Alexander Osias, Bill Baer, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Coffee and Comics, Comics Tweets, CT Profit, Digest Cast, Fan Holes Podcast, Film and Water Podcast, uh, History of Comics on Film, abbreviated HOCOF, 
Jacob Edwards, Jim Bow, Knowing Flame Comics, Laurel at Mountainflower One, Lauren Gibson, Longbox Crusade, Max Romero, Richard Field, Rolled Spine Podcast, Siskoid, Ted Kilvington, and Treasury Cast. Uh, a listener named Noah Tarno tweeted to me saying he loves Nightcast and loved the last episode. He also asked if DC intentionally truncated Dick Grayson's time as Robin because the post-crisis plan was to make Jason the primary Robin. Um, I don't know. I mean, as we sort of said, like there were some hiccups with their timeline. I don't know if they intended to make Jason more of the the de facto Robin, do you think? I don't know. I think part of it was Denny O'Neill has said in other interviews, and he even said it to me in that back issue, that he didn't realize until they did the death in the family that these characters were so – he didn't realize they were important to people, but he didn't realize how important. When they had the backlash mm-hmm. of the media that said, oh, they've killed Robin, and people thought they'd killed Dick Grayson – because people thought they killed Burt Ward, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he uh, he didn't realize how important that they were to people. So I think he was, I think, semi dismissive of Dick Grayson in some ways. You know. Yeah. And I think he's like, well, this is the Robin we got. They've got Dick Grayson off in Titans. So yeah. So subconsciously, he may have. I don't think he intended to completely erase Dick's history because they would reference him as Robin and. You know, it going forward, but uh, I do hear it. It, it kind of looks like it with this issue, though, honestly. <laughs> and I do think the fact that, like, what you were saying earlier with the different fiefdoms, the fact that he couldn't really use Dick at all, like, that was like Marv Wolfman's character. Like, he had, like, proprietary ownership of Dick and mm. Nightwing. I mean, that might have been, they might have just said, okay, minimize the, the influence of that character. We'll just make sure. Right. We won't address him because we can't usually we can't really use him on current stories with a very very few exceptions. So, right. Well, that's the Superman offices and the Legion offices had a, a time with this because they they you know they established uh, that you know the pocket universe as recently heard on the uh, uh, everything c- comes back to Superman. Uh, <laughs> it all comes back. Sorry, it all comes back to Superman that Michael Bailey and, and our buddy Siskoid did uh, first episode. That you know they created the whole pocket universe. Uh, idea to so the legion would still have superboy in their origin but then the superman even though they played along with them in that storyline as as years went along the superman office apparently didn't want to loan them superman and or superboy at all <laughs> and so so they eventually had to come up with replacing it all together with monel as valor and all that business yeah. so it, it, it is really just short-sighted and ridiculous honestly it just it seems weird to mm-hmm. you know I don't know. I just I think that's just really petty. But uh, over on Facebook, new likes and shares came from Aaron Henley, Abel Padilla, Andrew Leyland, Billy LaCase, Brad Dade, Brian Craig, Clinton Robinson, Coffee and Comics, Daniel Doherty, David Wiseman, DeBeche, Derek William Crabb, Fanholes Podcast, H. Daniel Reibold, History of Comics on Film, Jeremy Gunter, Joe Rad, Keith G. Baker, Ken Holtzhauser, Leslie Trigg the Third, Max Romero. Michael T. Geist, Mike Peacock, Pat Sampson, Patrick Delmore, Paul Williams. Paul Williams? All right. <laughs> Rainbow Connection. Cool. Uh, Rob Kelly. He was the Penguin, too. Uh, Rob Kelly, Robert McDonald, Robert Myers, Ruth Sutherland, Scott Cage, The Irredeemable Shag, Simon Richardson, Siskoid, Stephen Bird, Terrence Castingway, Terry O'Malley, and Zoom Yukonori. We received an email from Socrates Alvarez that Ryan forgot to read last month. 
Ryan. Gosh. Uh, <laughs> Where was <laughs> <so> my head? <laughs> what was your head? What don't you? What do, could you possibly have to worry about right now? Let's see. Uh, Soc- Socrates said, "I had heard commercials for your new Batman podcast and finally found it. Michael Bailey speaks very highly of it. The bulk of my Batman collection starts at Batman number four hundred to current. I'm excited to hear your show and review my favorite title and character." Oh well, that's perfect. You're you're our perfect listener for this show. Then. <laughs> exactly, you're right right with us. So, hope you're enjoying Thanks. it. Yes, definitely. Thanks for listening. Uh, moving on to the Fire and Water website comments, which you can find at the fireandwaterpodcast.com. As always, if you leave a comment, we will try to respond to it either on the site or on the episode. Some of these comments may be abridged for the sake of expediency. For instance. Several commenters on the last episode layered their remarks with the names of Phil Collins and Genesis songs. I don't know why you did it last episode. (laughs) Phil Collins was the through line for the year one episodes. If you were hoping that I would do needle drops for every mention of a song, like when I did with Ange's beloved Sugar Walls, hell no, I am not doing that, you guys. (laughs) Do you want to make editing the show harder for me? Well, enjoy the next ten episodes of Saturday Morning Fever before we get to year two. Oh, wow. (laughs) With that, our first comment came from Rob Kelly, who, along with the Irredeemable Shag, recently celebrated 200 episodes of the Fire and Water podcast. Congratulations, guys. Yes, definitely. Rob said, Even though she is a product from my golden age of comics, I never liked Leslie Tompkins. The character itself was fine, but I never liked the idea that Bruce had any surrogate parents other than Alfred. To me, it dilutes their relationship and gives Bruce too normal a childhood for the damaged man that he would grow up to be. And as Ryan pointed out, her being the only person who works in the Crime Alley Clinic just makes no sense. When you start giving Bruce all of these surrogate parents, I don't care anymore. Then, friend of the network David A. Gutierrez disagreed with Rob. He said... I like the idea that Bruce had an aunt in Leslie to keep tabs on him. It doesn't surprise that a set of parents dumb enough to walk down a place called Crime Alley wouldn't have someone in place to watch their child in the event of their deaths. It always struck me that Bruce never recognized Alfred as a surrogate father, so he'd be the last guy to recognize Leslie as a surrogate mom. His stunted emotional growth blocks him from understanding complex adult relationships. It's why he's such an idiot to his Bat family. (laughs) See this issue. Yeah. Um, well, for one, okay, got to be nitpicky about David's comment. It wasn't called Crime Alley when they walked down. Right. It was called Crime Alley because they walked down there and got gunned to death. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Rob continued, trying to jam Dick Grayson's tenure as Robin into an ever-shrinking time frame reminds me of the don't think too hard about it time for MASH. The Korean War lasted three years, yet the 4077th had massive turnover in its staff. That means some characters who we saw over multiple seasons were stuck there for maybe a year tops. The idea that Jason served longer than Dick is an abomination and not the cool gamma-irradiated kind. (laughs) So again, I think this issue might have fixed that. Um, Especially if we say that this one... I mean, if this was three years, if Batman had been operating for at least six years before he meets Jason, then Dick could have been Robin for anywhere from three to five of those years. So There's an issue coming up, and I do remember, uh, written by Jim Starlin, that actually Dick specifically says how long he was Robin, and I was okay with it. Okay. It, it, actually, it actually made sense. It kind of... 
it's going in this direction that you're talking about here, but it actually puts a little more time on it. Okay. Uh, and it actually does make sense, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So. All right. Look forward to that one. Uh, Lewis said, while having surrogates like Alfred and Leslie might seem to detract from Batman's orphan status, Leslie herself was no Aunt Harriet. A more acerbic personality, she struck me as an aunt married to her work or cause who would make infrequent visits to a growing Bruce. Leslie really is a Swiss army knife for her creative teams. You need a senior citizen or a hottie, she'll transform. A healthcare worker crusading for the impoverished or someone who'd let a young lady die to teach bats a lesson, Leslie's your tool. And David David Ace Gutierrez replied, To save you, I let you think I let a young girl die, Bruce. Tough love. And then Derek Crabb from the History of Comics on Film added, Well, at least Chuck Dixon retconned that War Games shit, and it's now a minor blip in the long and healthy career of Stephanie Brown. Oh, man, that was... But I think originally it was not intended to be that she, you know... I mean, yeah. she flat out let her die. I mean, so it's like, oh, that was... Yeah, that was right up there, and I think I said that on the comments. That's right up there with the whole Gwen Stacy shag Norman Osborn thing. You know, it's just... Uh. <laughs> Ooh, and we thought this issue was bad. Ooh. <laughs> every idea could be a good story again. Right. Not really. Not every idea. No. Let's That's move bullshit. on. <laughs> Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog Comic Box Commentary said, I understand everything you say about Tompkins' medical treatment. I don't know what kind of doctor she is, but I doubt she has trauma surgery training. I also doubt her free clinic would have any of the instruments she would need to do more than the simplest procedures. I don't know exactly where the bullets went, but if she is operating on internal organs, she'd need anesthesia, appropriate surgical trays, and maybe blood for transfusion. There is no way she has all that there. And even if she did, she can't do all that. It's why an OR has an anesthesiologist, a team of nurses, and a couple of clinicians. All that said, as my kids remind me, if I can accept Zeta Beams, plant <laughs> elementals, backwards magic, and even some of the things Batman can do like disappear, dodge bullets, and have a powerful handheld grappling gun, the medical skills of Leslie Tompkins should be acceptable. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, when, it's, when, you, when real world stuff that, I mean, when, when it's not handled in a real world manner, I think it kind of undermines the fantasy elements of it because nothing is grounded then you know i i can kind of see it, it and and honestly we're going to see the clinic actually has a staff here in a few episodes i don't know if they were there that night right uh, i would assume that they weren't because we never saw anybody else that was a mistake on Barr and Davis's part. I know they wanted to keep that story as small as possible so it would just be a debate between Leslie and Batman but yeah, they really should have showed some other staff there, at right. least in the background. Right. It's it's superhero comics. You have to be able to suspend your disbelief. But when they're treating that scene as supposed to be serious and life threatening, like you you make it harder. When you want me to treat that seriously, you gotta present it somewhat factually in order for me to accept the crazier elements. And having just been in an operating room about seven weeks ago at the time that this episode comes out because my wife had a C-section. Now, a C-section is a relatively minor procedure compared to somebody who comes in who needs four bullet holes treated. And in that procedure, my wife, there were two surgeons. There was a normal surgeon and then a pediatric surgeon on staff. Three nurses, an anesthesiologist, 
and a midwife who was there, like, talking to my wife and just kind of like, coaching her, but who was prepared to step in and help function as one of the nurses, too, there. So there was seven people there in that <laughs> room, not counting my wife and I, for the C-section. Again, like, if, you, if Jason's got four bullet wounds, Leslie can't do that on her own. No. Like, it would be irresponsible to try. Well, no, a Hippocratic Oath, it wouldn't be, but it would be futile anyway, so. Right, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan Doherty said, I was fascinated by the discussion involving Robin getting shot. I wonder how Ryan feels about the episode of Batman 66 where Shame shoots Robin in the leg. <laughs> Honestly, I forgot that happened. Like, <laughs> I that completely like and until he mentioned this, I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> I never thought about that episode." Yeah, that kind of honestly, and I hate to admit it, I kind of I forgot about it in reference to this. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Dan also says, "I'm glad to hear Chris 2218." Elementary, my dear Watson, will be joining Shazam and the Whip as one of your recurring sound effect gags. Thanks for the reminder. I appreciated the fact that the whip made a guest appearance on your uh, FWT map episode with Cisco when you talked about Zorro versus Dracula. Which, that was an awesome episode, man, by the way. That, I've got to go find those books. I'm like, how did I not know about that? My it was, God. It was fun. It, it took us a while to prep for that one. I think we, we had that one kind of on the back burner for like three months. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of Robin getting hurt, I think – I think the Robin getting shot in the leg bit is 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 easily forgotten because everybody's traumatized by the time that Robin was eaten by the giant clam. <laughs> and I don't know how many people that actually like I've heard people like Bruce Tim and and other creators who were actually kids in the 60s talk about how they really thought Robin was dead. I mean, like the, the talk on the schoolyards the next day was uh, that was a that was like a three part of with the Joker and the Penguin teaming up and Robin's. You see, like Robin's foot hanging out of this clam as this clam's eating him, and it it, it ends for the you know the cliffhanger. That's how it ends. <laughs> and everybody at the school the next day, like the creators have said, they actually thought, "Did you see Batman last night? Robin's dead." <laughs> they bought it. They bought that he was dead. I was like that. That would have been awesome to have been back then, you know, to live and then and then watch the next night. It's like, oh God, what's Batman gonna do without Robin? And then he ends up being alive, you know. <laughs> that should have been the climax of a death in the family. A giant clam just closing <laughs> down. by a giant clam. And Batman comes to Aquaman, it's like you could have saved him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, speaking of which, Siskoid from the FW Team Up and Kung Fu Fridays, to name just a few of his shows on the network, said, My beginning and my probable end is the title readers like Rob Kelly remembered when asked whether Jason Todd should die. But if he hadn't, can you imagine a coma in the family becoming a classic? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jason just would have – he would have done what Guy Gardner did and just been in a coma for years and then come out an even bigger jerk when he, when he come out of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, that comment from Cisco had actually led to a, kind of a discussion between listeners about whether or not a death in the family is actually a good story or if it's just notorious because of what happened. Um, and when we get to it, uh, I, I look forward to having that discussion because I think that's pretty valid. Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks, as well as the Punch Like a Girl podcast, which will soon be joining the Fire and Water Network. Nathaniel said, In an odd way, I almost feel like Leslie Tompkins works as a case study in what the post-crisis mentality brought to comics and then would later cause to go horrifically off the rails. 
because if you're going to do more of the grounded, realistic, or gritty version of this character, then Robin kind of becomes the elephant in the room. And if you're not going to just erase the character, then having somebody call out Bruce on this is kind of needed. Of course, this would later get twisted into the worst possible logical extreme with the good doctor's actions in the war games and war crime storylines, which were so catastrophically received that they required a pretty thorough retcon. I feel like that embodies the entire DC cycle at this point. Go in a bold new who-cares-if-we-piss-off-the-old-fans direction, stick by it for a couple of years, then apologetically backpedal with a retcon or other correction when it becomes clear that you didn't get a ton of new retained fans with that move. It's part of the DC tonal whiplash from cycle to cycle. Look how serious and dark we are, followed by, wait, come back, we can still be fun, and then repeat every five years or so. (laughs) Also, can I just say how much I hate Jason's hair? That pair of symmetrical spit curls is just awful. I seriously shuddered in the final Serpent-style image where he's facing the reader head-on. It's the goofiest thing I've seen in a while, and I say that while being fully aware that he's standing next to a man in bat ears. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, Jason's, for one, what Nathaniel said about DC Cycles is is dead on. That, That was great. Um... But Jason's, you know, Jason's look, I mean, even beyond his hair, I think that's one thing that really hurt the character because they didn't, I mean, I think it's one thing that helped Tim Drake because they gave him a really cool new costume mm-hmm. that evoked Robin, but, you know, modernized it. They really put time into it. I mean, yeah, he did first appear in the classic Robin costume, but when he officially became Robin, he had on that new suit. He had a, you know, that punkoid hairstyle he had back then. And... I, I think they did a disservice in trying to make Jason look so much like Dick. I think if they let him keep that Don Newton costume I mentioned yes. earlier, yeah, I I think that would have, you know, that would have made him his own character, give him his own identity. Even if he kept the red hair, the mm-hmm. strawberry blonde hair, uh, you know, it would have given him his own. I think it would have gave him more of a personality, and le- it made him less of a cipher because no matter, no matter how what origin you give him visually he's still dick grayson he's still young dick grayson even with the same haircut yeah so i i think that really hurt the character in the long run and especially like i mean if they could have seen they more of a longer game if they had known what was going to happen like especially if if they knew he was going to have a shortened time as robin like if he was only going to be robin for two or three years and then they were going to kill him off yeah give him a distinct look But then, of course, then you lose the iconic imagery of Batman holding the body of a classic Robin. So, yeah, uh, yeah, you kind of either way. But I do in the costume hanging in the case, and yeah, yeah. I I do love that Don Newton Robin look. I wish that had gotten more, more, more play. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised nobody's done something else with that. I mean, it's popped up here and there, but yeah, it's a it's a really cool look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Martin Gray from the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl said, I never liked Leslie as a doctor. I liked her as a sweet, kind lady, a footnote in the legend. She should have been well dead by the time (laughs) Bruce was an adult. (laughs) As for this issue, they went too far. The only sane way it could go after Jason is so badly injured is Batman retiring him. If he wants to come back and play hero as an adult, fine. But for now, he has to be sent far away from Gotham for his own safety. As it is, Batman is left looking like an irresponsible, selfish, needy fool. And I have to say, when you compound that with this issue, (laughs) I mean, Leslie brings up the events of this issue. She does. Mm -hmm. But again, that's something we didn't directly address when we were talking about this issue, that the Bruce, that the Batman fired his, again, his older teenage partner 
who wasn't – I don't think Dick was as nearly as badly injured as Jason. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fall was probably the thing that hurt him worse than the bullet wound where he had it because mm-hmm. uh, it looked like he was shot through the sh- – you know, he shot through the shoulder. Yeah. Because in some cases it looked like – it looked like it went through his, like, upper chest and into his shoulder and out his arm because there was some blood, like, up in the upper – corner of his chest upper like right corner or whatever and then there was a like a hole in his arm mm-hmm. so I, so it's like he got you know he got shot like crossways across the upper chest so it wasn't anywhere near as hard or anything mm-hmm. uh so jason jason was full of holes i mean you know he was shot four times yeah <laughs> two things i just remembered how i mentioned that it took me a long time to actually read the issue that batman 408 that we just covered i remember i don't know where this memory came from the first time i saw that image of Dick being shot by the Joker was on a trading card. It was like mm. a Batman like Masterworks masterpiece like set of like trading cards. It was like a painted image yeah. of of the Joker shooting Robin. I was like, what story did that happen? And then I kinda like looked I, I researched it and found out where it came from. I was like, oh yeah, I never had that issue. Yeah, I just remember being like like seeing the image painted in that style was very profound. Like I was like, oh this must have been a serious moment, like a that they actually made a card of this event. So yeah, I know. Um, what, I think they're the bat. Was that the Batman Saga trading yeah, card set? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I bought that. I bought a box of those, and I actually managed to get the Skybox hologram card out of that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, probably another, worth five yeah. cents nowadays. It's probably worth five cents nowadays. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, another point about what Martin was saying, though, like, yeah, this is the other thing where again, if you know more, if it's harder to suspend your disbelief, but just Jason being shot like that, like four times in the chest or the torso, like that area, like that, like. like his recovery time for for to say nothing about whether or not Leslie could save him if he survives his recovery time we're talking years for mm-hmm. that type of traumatic injury being shot like that and like like he's he's not going to be Robin for a long ass time yeah like at first he's he's going to be in trash he's going to be in bed for a month at least maybe like and then like if nothing damaged his spine like he's gonna have to learn and he's gonna have to recondition his body because it's his muscles and bones are gonna atrophy like crazy while he's recovering then he's gonna have to get back into training shape that allows so yeah he would be down and out for years before batman let him go out and party again if Denny O'Neill knew what he knew, would know later, uh, at this point, he probably would have just let Batman bench Jason <laughs> yeah. after this storyline. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, you're you're off the table, and they could have had him in the background and yeah. stuff. Well, that's something we didn't quite bring up. You know, you brought it up actually last episode because you knew what was coming this episode. But you have a Robin that shot. You have going back to Crime Alley, and you have Batman's origin retold, even though it's only in like a strip of little panels in this issue. You have those in two issues of Detective and Batman that were probably only released about two weeks apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> again, editorial coordination, people. <laughs> I think the next comment we get from Jimmy McGlinchey actually gives me like the, 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 the fix, the solve for this. Jimmy says, It was interesting hearing your comments about the continuity of Batman at this time and whether the Bard Davis story should have been done with Dick Grayson as Robin. Thinking about it, if you had the Bard Davis run with a slightly older Grayson Robin, you could have had him shot in Detective 573 as before, have him recover in 574, but Batman, taking heed of Leslie's arguments, decides the time is right to retire Dick and then lead into Batman 408 with Jason Todd taking over as the new Robin. 
probably won't satisfy those who feel the sacking of Dick Grayson was a bad move, but at least continuity-wise, it would fit and you would not have to do two Robin Gets Shot stories one after the other, especially as they played out so differently. Then again, at least in Batman 408, Robin gets shot by the Joker. Imagine how you would feel if you had to retire as Robin because you got shot by the Mad Hatter. Would not do Dick's confidence any good in that scenario. <laughs> so this this comment ticks me off because I feel like last episode we walked right up to this point and didn't actually get to it. We were, like, so close, but I think Jimmy nails it perfectly. Like, yes, and I even said that, like, if the Bar Davis run had been Dick Grayson Robin stories instead, like, they would have felt more of, like, those classic, we're still having fun with Robin, and they they kind of exist before this New Adventures era. But that is also, that could have been the, the moment where Batman says, it's too much, Dick, you're done, because he's you know, based on having to have this argument with Leslie, that's when he realizes, or at least she convinces him, that you can't endanger a child like this. And that would at least work better than the beginning of Batman 408 and the way that one plays out. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. But at the same time, because the Robin character, whether you say it, it was Jason, obviously, mm-hmm. but if you make it Dick, he was more gravely injured, as we said, sure. in Detective 573, 574. So... You know, for him to, I could totally see him saying, okay, you're done, you're retired to either one. But it makes it even worse when he brings in another Robin. You know, I mean, so it actually makes it worse because, like we said, Dick didn't seem to be as badly injured, even though he did fire him. It just, that, again, I don't think there's any way you can make. If, 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 like I said, if Dick's never hurt seriously and just quits, then Batman picking up Jason and, okay, you could say Batman, and he even says that later on when, when, when Dick confronts him about what happens to Jason's ultimately in that scene in Teen Titans, or New Titans at that point. Uh, you know, he says, you know, he admits that he was, well, no, actually that's in, that's not in that issue. He doesn't admit anything there, but uh, in an issue coming up in our run, that's right. He admits that he was lonely. You know, he, he missed Robin. He missed having Robin, which in this story, it only seems like it's been a few weeks because it says weeks pass. That's the that's and, the compression <laughs> part that complicates it. Like he retires him, and within a month, he's got a he's got a replacement in the wings. I mean, no wonder Dick has serious issues with Bruce in the post-crisis continuity. Right. Of course, they patch this thing up, and parts of it are swept away pretty quick. And and uh, you know, and even later on. You know, Chuck Dixon runs with the idea in his, in the Prodigal storyline, and then Robin Year One, when he was really new at Robin. I mean, he had only been Robin, I think, for like a, a few months, and he gets really severely injured by Two Face after he makes a bad call, and, and this judge gets killed, and Batman retires him, mm-hmm. and uh, Dick has to come back and prove himself. And I think that's, I mean, that's a much better way to go. You know, to get that out of the way early when he's young, and then him come back and say, "No, I can do this." You know, I, you know, improve and, and and get a chance to prove himself. I mean, here, older Dick Grayson's just ceremoniously dumped, and then within a month, he's got a new Robin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Alan W. Wright said, "There's a no prize solution for the mustacheless Thomas Wayne, the young Bruce who punches Joe Chill, and the bloodless Bruce who sees the inspirational bat." Batman is filtering his memories through his current experiences. So, he imagines his older self in the Thomas Wayne role, hence no mustache. He associates his younger self with the active crime-fighting Jason Todd, so young Bruce Wayne fights back just as Robin would. 
He ruminates on how Robin has been hurt and not him, so in this set of memories, Bruce is not bloodied and on the verge of death when the bat inspires his disguise. So, what we see is a combination of truth and fantasy. Sadly, I can't use this approach to explain the Hawkman continuity glitches. <laughs> nice ever. I mean, there's, there's no prize to go. That, that's not bad. Yeah. No, it's not bad. And I will point out that if you're keeping up with the mustache on Thomas Wayne, we did see it in the brief origin flashback in this issue, which yes, was did. very year one inspired, which makes it even worse that this story followed year one. They knew what year one was because they were following the artwork. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Alan continues, aside from the throwaway line to the close call with Dick, you would think that there had only been one Robin in this new continuity, Jason. It does feel like they are cutting Dick out of Batman's past. I remember when I bought Batman 408 on a friend's suggestion who thought the changes they were doing with Batman were great, although he may have been thinking of year one, which I missed until the hardcover. I did not like 408. I had read a lot of Dick's journey in the Titans, and this new story invalidated it. It removed Dick Grayson's agency. It took a story of Dick Grayson becoming an adult and made it a story of how Batman feels. Maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe I'll feel differently when I reread it. And maybe Chris will be singing its praises on the next show or two. Or not. <laughs> well, I think you got your answers there. So. Yeah, not. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. It removed all agency from Dick Grayson. That's a good, good short, succinct way to put it uh, that I have not yet to put together in this episode. So I'm just too flustered by it. But so thank you. <laughs> Uh, Ward Hill Terry said, another great show, and what great comments. I have nothing to add as I agree with most of the comments regarding Leslie, Dick, Jason, and boneheaded DC decisions. I don't want to be same old song Terry, but once again we see the importance of the character of Uncle Philip. Leslie may have been at the scene of the crime initially, but the courts are going to find a relative to take care of Bruce. He can be an older adult, not exactly a hands-on parent surrogate, so Bruce grows up alone and unloved. Bruce learns how to be Bruce Wayne, and Alfred comes later. Ward then added, Ryan and Chris 2218 have got me hooked. And I meant you, my dear Watson. I expect I'll keep listening even though you'll be covering a lot of Batman stories I've not read, or stories that I wish I hadn't read like year two. Oh, well, keep up the good work, lads. <laughs> well, thank you. That's, that's what we're here for. We, yeah, um, we suffer Uncle through these stories so you guys don't have to. <laughs> exactly. And Uncle Philip. Uh, the unsung, you know, hero of Batman for Ward uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> I think I can only think of like one. Uh, the only time I ever referenced uh, Uncle Philip was uh, in the Untold Legend of the Batman and then uh, his original Who's Who entry uh, <laughs> that, that, you know, Uncle Philip is mentioned. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, he's. And that you know, of course, that's where his 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 uh, housekeeper was Mrs. Chilton, mm-hmm. uh, who helped raise Bruce, who's actually the mother of Joe Chill. Dun, dun, dun. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which Alfred will never tell Bruce. Alfred knows, but he can never let him know that he was raised by the murderer, the mother of the murderer of his parents. You know, that, so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, that is going to do it for Nightcast episode 16. Chris, what do we have to look forward to next time? We have the final Batman story in this run by Mike W. Barr and Alan Davis. It's the first part of Batman Year 2 and the last part for Alan Davis. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he was handing it off gracefully or or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, folks. See you next time. Bye.
I'm not a juvenile delinquent. Batman Nightcast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Batman Nightcast. You can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or email me at rdailypodcast at gmail.com. You can find me, Chris, on Twitter at supermatespod or email me at supermatespodcast.gmail.com. This podcast is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed here belong solely to us. All music, audio clips, or quoted text is used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening. It's easy to be good. It's hard.